0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Amen. Mark chapter 11. And we will go to a familiar verse. But before before we do that, let me just set this up by saying, you know, we, we are a church that believes in the power of God. And you do realize not all churches do. Many churches, probably the majority of churches, in some measure or another, believe that Christianity has evolved. And uh, that some of the things, in fact, many of the things that took place in the first century that are recorded in the Bible, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, really aren't for today, that the church has moved beyond some of these things that they consider to be uh, rudimentary and and, uh, primitive and not applying to today, that today we have better ways of achieving blessing in life than, uh, God supernaturally intervening. And, uh, that, that's, that is not true at all. The church has not evolved. The church has devolved. And there's a big difference because the Bible, the Word of God is still the standard today. Everything in it applies today and is for today. When you think about it, people who believe that, that some of the practices of the New Testament and some of the teachings of the New Testament that we've moved beyond that, if if a person logically takes that position, then what what would prevent them from removing and moving beyond any of the teachings of the New Testament? And that's what we're seeing. In many churches in America, they've thrown out basically all of the, of the true literal interpretation of the Scripture and have come up with their own ideas. Well, once, we, once you depart from God on one thing, it's easier to start departing from God on something else. And so uh, we're not like that here. We're not, we're not special. We're not building ourselves up. We're not bragging on ourselves. We're not the only people like this. There are an abundance of churches in the land who believe in the power of God. We believe, just like us, we believe in. they believe in the miraculous. We believe, as they do, that God still hears prayers and answers prayers supernaturally. We're, we're an unashamed advocate of the message of faith in God, that you can ask and believe God to do what He said in His Word that He would do, and He will do it. We believe that. We're not embarrassed over it. Amen. Uh, Like I said, we believe in miracles. We believe in divine healing. We pray for the sick. We see the sick recovered. We have, if you go through this congregation, you can get just countless testimonies of God's healing provision taking place in our lives as a direct response and answer to prayer. We have numerous miracles that have taken place over the years. All through this congregation, we have people that can stand up and testify of miracles, genuine miracles that have taken place. So we believe in these things, amen. So in Mark chapter 11, verse number 22, Jesus said, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Well, you can't have faith in God without having faith in His Word. Amen. So when we talk about faith and healing, which is what I want to talk about this morning, I also want to talk about medicine. Faith, healing, and medicine. I was reading a a book this week. I was reading a book this week I pulled it off my shelf that I bought a number of years ago and it's by a medical doctor and his name is William Mast Uh, he was a a a surgeon a a doctor specializing in surgery of the ear, nose, throat, head and neck is that an ENT. ENT he was an ENT specialist and I said was I don't know if he's still in practice or not oh he's passed away okay uh he, uh, he, when he started his practice, right after he started his practice, his brother was the pastor of a full gospel church, and he went to visit his, his brother and got filled with the Holy Spirit. Started attending that church, and he said he saw so many miracles, just right in, in front of his eyes, things that couldn't be explained, and he really got excited about the things of God. Then a few years later, he was given a copy of a book by Kenneth Hagan entitled, The Authority of the Believer. And he said that book changed his life. He realized then that even as a doctor that he could exercise authority over sickness and disease in his own life and he could help people as well. Well, he went on eventually to move from uh, wherever he lived in Delaware, I think. He moved to Tulsa and took a position uh, at the City of Faith Medical Center there in Tulsa. And, uh, And I think he opened his own practice in that building. I don't know that he was working for the City of Faith, but he was in that building. So he opened a practice there, same thing, ENT specialist. And uh, later, uh, that was in uh, eighty-three, I think, 81. And uh, no, in, in 83. And then in 1991, he moved his practice out of that location to another location in, in Tulsa. And enrolled, actually he put his, his practice on hold. For two years. And he enrolled in Rhema as a student. So he went to Rhema for two years and just sort of practiced part time during that time. At the end of those two years, he went back into full time practice. And then in the fall of that year, in 1993, he went on part as part time staff at Rhema, uh, teaching a, a special missions course in the subject of international health for missionaries. So he taught at Rhema. And I personally heard Kenneth Hagan. Endorsed this book a number of times when I was in Brother Agen's meetings. I remember him mentioning this book and endorsing it and talking about how good it was. But what happened to Doctor Mast when he was filled with the Holy Spirit? He began to actually when when he took the position at Rama and was asked to teach a course on uh, medical missions. He said he, for the first time, actually underwent a study and started studying the Bible to see what the Bible had to say about medicine, since he's a medical doctor. And so this book came out of his study on the subject of medicine in the Bible. And so I want to, uh, I want to read a story that's from the very first chapter of this book of something that happened to him and, and what a tragedy it was. Can I read this to you? Verse In chapter 1, it says, it seemed to be a routine afternoon clinic on the 11th floor of the City of Faith Hospital. I was about halfway through the schedule of patients. I quickly glanced at the chart before entering the examination room to gather some preliminary information about the new patient I was about to see. I noticed from the information sheet that the patient was a female in her 20s who had come to Tulsa all the way from the East Coast for a medical opinion. This was not at all unusual since people routinely come from all parts of the country and even other areas of the world for medical treatment. What I did not expect was the scene that greeted me or greeted my eyes on opening the examination door. The young lady was sitting on a chair next to my desk. Her body bent over and contorted with obvious pain. Her beautiful face was marred by a large swollen tumor on her left lower jaw extending into the left side of her neck. I reached out to shake her hand to greet her, but she did not reply. Her husband immediately answered for her saying, my wife is not able to speak. I will be doing the talking for her as the wife, as the husband told his story, guilt depression, and despair clouded his facial features. Both he and his wife were members of a charismatic church on the East Coast. He quickly emphasized, quote, my wife and I believe in divine healing. We are making this trip solely to gain another medical opinion, not for any treatment, end quote. The husband continued, two years ago, my wife discovered a small ulceration on the left side of her tongue. When the ulceration did not heal over a period of several months, we went to a local surgeon. He performed a biopsy of the ulcerated area. The biopsy report was not good. The ulceration had been caused by a cancerous growth of the tongue. The surgeon told us that fortunately, the cancer was in a very early stage and could be easily cured by simply excising it. The husband went on to tell me, Dr. Mass wrote, That they had refused this minor operation, informing the surgeon that they believed in divine healing. They told him, Our total dependence is on God alone, not on surgery. The malignant growth on the woman's tongue continued to enlarge over the next six months, and the couple again went to see the surgeon who informed them that the cancer was still curable. But he replied, It will now require a major operation that will involve the removal of at least half of the tongue. The couple again refused surgery, believing that they should ignore what was obviously a growing problem. They replied to the surgeon's suggestion, We will simply confess God's healing for this situation. No further medical consultations were obtained until the couple appeared at my office about a year and a half later with the desperate situation that now confronted me. I examined the tongue, which was now swollen and hard as a rock. It completely filled up the woman's mouth. The lady could no longer speak and was obviously in constant pain. When I felt her neck, I found a hard lump protruding from the left side. It was quite obvious that the cancer had spread to her neck. I explained to this woman and her husband... There is still a possibility of saving your life, but now radical surgery is necessary. It would necessitate removing all of the tongue, the left jawbone, and the muscles and glands of the left side of your neck. The operation would last eight to ten hours, and you would have to spend at least several weeks in the hospital. After the surgical wounds healed additional treatment would still be necessary, including cobalt irradiation therapy and possibly chemotherapy using various anti-cancer drugs. When When the couple heard my proposal, the husband immediately rejected it. He stated adamantly, we are standing in faith. We are not even considering any type of medical treatment. Sadly, the last communication I received from this couple was a letter requesting needed information for an application for complete disability. This man said, absolutely, we are not going to get any treatment because we are standing in faith. Church, let me assure you, they were not standing in faith. They were not. And so Dr. Mass talks in his book about uh, uh, various people that he encountered over the years who, who came with this same type of mentality. And when it comes to medicine, there's something known as medical malpractice. Medical malpractice in medicine, malpractice is the improper, negligent, or injurious practice of medicine. But you know, when it comes to faith, there's faith malpractice as well. Faith malpractice is the improper, negligent, and injurious practice of faith. And it's not actually genuine faith. But people think it is. And so I, I'm, I took this study primarily from Dr. Mast's book. And it's excellent. Like I said, Kenneth Hagan recommended that we buy it. And do we have any of these in the bookstore? Pastor Angela says we're, it's, we're having a difficulty getting a hold of the book now. It was self-published. And so since he's gone to heaven... Uh, you know it 's going to be difficult to find, but we we might have a copy or two back there uh, when it comes to mistakes people make for healing he he listed five uh, dominant things first of all is the is the problem of denial denial. This couple was in denial of their situation because when jesus we 're reading we read mark eleven twenty three have faith in God. The next verse in in verse 20, 20, we read verse 22, verse 23 says, Whoever shall say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in his heart that those things he says will will come to pass. He will have whatever he says. Well, the first thing you have to to know about uh, faith is you have to diagnose your problem. You cannot, and refusal to be, refusal to be treated is a form of denial. On one level, this couple acknowledged that she had this problem because they went, uh, she went to two different doctors, the doctor that she had gone to, uh, where she was from on the East Coast, and then this doctor in Tulsa. So they knew she had a problem, but the refusal to, to, to get treatment is denial of what's going on. And before you can have faith, you have to acknowledge the problem. You can't speak to the mountain until you've identified it. And then in Romans chapter 4, and and most of you know these verses, but in Romans chapter 4, it talks about faith as calling those things which be not as though they were. Faith calls things that do not exist as though they do exist. A lot of people have that reversed. They think faith calls things that do exist as though they don't exist. That's not what that verse says. By denying something that exists and saying it doesn't exist, that isn't faith. Faith looks at what is seen and then looks beyond that at what what is not seen, which are the promises of God. And it calls the promises of God true, but it doesn't deny the reality of the situation. That's what this couple was doing. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Again, notice that faith focuses on things not seen. It doesn't focus on the things that are seen and then pretend that they don't exist. It focuses, it it acknowledges the things that are seen, the malady, the sickness, whatever it is. But it focuses on the promises of God that are not yet seen in the natural. They haven't come into, into, into view physically. But we know they're true because God said them. God, excuse me, God said that by His stripes, Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Well, we, we believe that in spite of the situation, but we don't ignore the situation. Amen. So the first thing that people are guilty of is denial. And another thing that people are guilty of that he identified is misplaced faith. Misplaced faith sometimes shows up in the sense of faith in other people's experience. Just because you heard somebody else had an illness maybe like yours or similar to yours or even different, but you hear their story of how they believed God and what God led them to do and the steps of faith they took. And you decide, I'm just going to do what they did. That is misplaced faith. You can't base, we can't, I can't base my faith on what somebody else did and what happened to them. My faith and your faith has to be in the Word of God. What God's word says to me. And my faith can't be, uh, my faith can't be in not only uh, other people, but my faith can't be in myself. My faith has to totally be in God. What does God say? What does his word have to say about it? Amen. His word says he sent his word and it healed them. Notice you had to be sick in order for the word to work. He sent his word and healed them. Proverbs 4 says that his words are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. See, you you get the word on the inside of you and it starts building a picture and your faith grows. Another important thing about about faith and healing and, and medical treatment is we have to understand that there are different levels of faith. I would say that for a church like ours, this is probably the most important thing. Is knowing that not everybody is on the same level of faith. The Bible talks about weak faith and strong faith. It talks about little faith and great faith. And then it talks about great faith that it grows exceedingly, growing faith. Faith is not static. It's not just a one level thing. A person can be in faith, but be weak in faith. That does not mean they don't have faith. Their faith is just not as strong as it should be. A person can have a little faith, and a little faith can produce for them, but a little faith is not adequate for bigger problems. I said little faith is not adequate for greater, larger problems. And this is a thing people don't often uh uh determine. They think, well, so and so exercised faith and they took these steps. Maybe they had a condition and the Lord led them to uh at some point not take medicine anymore. But you don't understand that it, and they were healed. But what people don't understand is a person on a certain level of faith, the Spirit of God can direct you to do that. And when you're in faith, you know you have the answer. You know you have the answer. A lot of people sometimes are just trying it. And it won't work. It won't work. Faith must be exercised, fed and exercised daily. In order for it to be strong. It's sort of like weight training. If you know anything thing about uh, weight training. You, you don't start out with the heaviest weight. I would not go into the weight room. And get under Steve Borgen's barbells on the bench. How much do you bench? 350. How many of you would like to get under that on the bench? No. That, that's not where you start out. You might start out with 50 pounds not 350. Isn't that right? Steve Morgan didn't start out at 350 pounds, bench pressing 350 pounds. He didn't start there. He started when he was a young man, probably a teenager, uh, working out with what he could handle at the time. But in weight training, the more you exercise, the more you grow in strength. Faith is the same way. You have to start on things that your faith can accomplish Now, don't take this as an excuse to not use your faith. We should always be using our faith. But use your faith on the things that your faith can work on and start exercising. And then as you feed on the word, your faith will grow. And the more victories you win and the greater things that you overcome will enable you to advance in faith where you can take on things that are are, uh, uh, bigger and and so forth. Uh, You need to know where your faith is. You need to be realistic in where your faith is. People sometimes try to accomplish things that uh, are physically huge When they're not applying their faith every day to the things that that are smaller that they could. They put up with a lot of things that they could be using their faith on. And that, well, it's just easier to take a tablet. It's easier, you know, to have this treatment and not deal with it. We should be using our faith for everything in life that's contrary to the word of God. Amen. Any condition that's not right, we should be using our faith on it. Even the big things. Even the things that seem to be beyond our faith, still use your faith on it, but you need to rely on some other things besides faith. That's something that's not said very often in our, in our circles, but it's absolutely the truth. Amen. The fourth thing that he identified is not considering the seriousness of the sickness. Not all sicknesses are the same. Some things are life-threatening and some things aren't life-threatening. Things that aren't life-threatening, we can afford to take uh, uh, an approach that we will just work on it over time and work on it with our faith and work on it with our faith until we see ourselves completely healed. But when you're facing something that's life-threatening, a symptom that suddenly comes up that you know what the possibilities are, to ignore that can cost you your life. Amen. Amen. When uh, in 2015, you know, I was skiing out in Colorado in February of that year with, with uh, Angela and, and uh, my oldest son, Steve, and his, and his kids. And I noticed that I was very tired when I was out there. Well, I had been tired for several months, just, you know, doing things around the house, working outside, just felt tired a lot, you know. Didn't think a whole lot about it. It was the summer. You get tired, you know. So the summer passed. The previous summer passed. And I, you know, wasn't working in the yard that much. And it seemed to be okay. When I went skiing that year, I noticed that I was exhausted. And, uh, you know, uh, Vale, Colorado, the mountain there, is uh, the top of the mountain is a little over, over 11,000 feet. And that's where the chair lifts in and uh, gondolas, they take you up to the top and get you, you know, you, you unload and you ski down from there. But even the, the low part of the mountain, the base is around 10,000, 9 or 10,000 feet. So when you get up to 11,000 feet, the air is a little thin. Well, I got out there and I couldn't keep up with the rest of the family. Steve and, and, uh, and his sons and, you know, I just, I, I couldn't keep up. And I was good in the mornings. I could ski fine in the mornings. In fact, I was racing. Uh, ethan and jared down the mountain and and almost i was meeting jared but i was almost keeping up with ethan But we were flying down the mountain over 50 miles an hour one of them had a had a you know a, a speedometer thing on their on their phone and they were tracking us and we were going over 50 miles an hour flying down the mountain i felt great in the morning but by lunch i was just gassed I couldn't go on and uh you know so i I would go in and go go back to the to one of the restaurants on the mountain or go back down to the lodge and uh, And I remember this one day we went into the back bowls, which are the bowls on on the back side of the mountain, a lot of times like a is it concave that goes in yeah, a concave area of the mountain, and a lot of times that's very steep, but there there's some you know moderate uh slopes back there, so I was on the back side of the mountain. And I skied down to the bottom and I was ahead of everybody else. And I got down there and I was just exhausted. So I just leaned. There was a big rock outcropping there at the bottom and it was covered in snow. But it's like a little bench there. So I just kind of climbed up on that and just leaned back in the snow and waited in the snow and just waited for everybody to show up. And I was just exhausted. And uh, later at the end of the week, uh, the last day, I almost didn't make it down off the mountain. I thought, I'm going to have to just lay down here in the snow. But I thought, I could pass out. I thought it was altitude and just being out of shape. I thought to myself, when you get home, buddy, you're going to get your rear end back on that elliptical. Get back in shape. This is ridiculous. You're falling apart out here. This is, this is not right. I had no thought that there was anything wrong with my heart. And, uh, and I remember thinking, I'd just like to lay down in the snow. And then I thought... I'll pass out if I lay down here, and they might not find me till spring. You know, <laughs> and the snow was real deep, and uh, so you know we went home. And the next day, uh, I started having chest pains. The next night, and I went to bed that night, but I had I had a chest pain that was on that you know when you go in the hospital, or you go to the doctor, they ask you to to rate your pain from one, like as being almost nothing, to ten, as being like having your arm sawed off, you know, with a chainsaw. Uh, I they asked me what my pain level was and I said maybe a 1 maybe a 1 might be a 0.5 it was such a light pain but it was right in the kind of in the middle of my chest and I thought you know I thought well you know that could be something but I laid down and went to sleep and it went away now I also thought maybe it was indigestion I took some you know antacids and tried to you know make make myself you know swallow air make myself burp you know try to give me some relief and uh, that wasn't it. When I went to bed, I went to sleep, slept all night. And I woke up and I thought, well, you know, I'm fine. But as soon as I got out of bed, as soon as I stood up, that pain came back. And then I realized, now it can't be indigestion. I haven't eaten in 10 hours. So there's nothing on my stomach. Uh, it was, again, it was about a, a point five or 1, maybe. And... Uh, Angela had already, I waited a little while. She went to the office as I was praying. I thought, well, you know, I probably ought to get this checked out. So I went and got a quick shower, come down to the church. And I said, you know what? I I think I need to call, uh, you know, paramedic. Have somebody look at this. I think I need to go to the hospital. Yeah, I need to go to the emergency room. Pastor Angela said, well, why don't instead, why don't you just go down to the EMT station down there and just have them check you? So I went down there and they you know, ran an EKG and checked me out. And they said, well, there is something abnormal on the front of your heart. It doesn't, doesn't look normal. I said, it, it doesn't look terribly alarming. We've seen far worse. But we recommend that you go to the hospital, that we take you in. So I let them take me. <clears throat> when I got there, uh, I was in the early stages of having a heart attack. But my pain level was less than one. When I got to the hospital, it still hadn't gotten any worse. And I said, you know, I feel silly laying here. I don't feel like I'm in trouble. And uh, so they, they uh, one doctor, actually a cardiologist said, I don't believe this is your heart because you've been skiing in Vail for a week. You, you've had a stress test out there and you passed it. I thought, well, no, I didn't pass it. And uh, he said, I don't think this is heart related. But the emergency room doctor said, We're gonna, I'm going to order uh, a heart cath. So they did, they did the heart catheterization, and your your heart has correct me, Jay or, or uh, uh, what's your name, Michelle? <laughs> I think the the heart has three major arteries that supply blood to the to the muscle of the heart. They're on the outside of the heart, and uh, the one that's on the front of the heart it's called the LAD. Oh, it's on the back of the heart left anterior descending artery. They, that's called the widow maker. Because when people, when that artery clamps down, a person usually just falls over right then with a massive heart attack and they're usually never revived. They're usually gone. My LAD was 99% blocked. And the other two arteries were both 80% blocked. And so the doctor said, this man is hanging on by a thread. And I'd been out there skiing. God protected me. But one reason he protected me is because I had a sense before I went out, before I went skiing for several weeks, not because I was feeling bad, because the summer was over, previous summer, I wasn't experiencing tiredness or shortness of breath or anything. I just had an inward leading, an inward witness that I needed to go and, and have my heart checked out. And I knew just instinctively I need more than a stress test because I'd had a stress test not too long before that. I need a heart catheterization. But I knew that doctors, cardiologists are reluctant to order a heart cath because it's invasive and it's dangerous. So they're reluctant to do that. They want to do other things first. So I was trying to figure out in my mind, now, how can I convince this doctor when I go to see him? How can I convince him to, to, to do a heart cath? Because he's not going to want to do it. So I was thinking that, and I made an appointment to see him before the ski trip. But right before the appointment, a few weeks before the appointment, his office called and said, the doctor's going to be out of town. I think he was on vacation. I think he was skiing. And uh, said, you know, he can't keep this, so we're going to have to postpone this until after my ski vacation. So the thing is, I was following the leading of the Spirit, and I was doing what I knew to do. And so God protected me while I was out there, because everybody, when they saw the results, they said, we can't believe you survived on the mountain. There's no explanation for why you didn't just collapse you're, you're, you're hanging on a thread in Florida at sea level and you were at 11,000 feet. Uh, so, you know, I had, the, had the, some stints put in and I was fine. When I went back to my regular doctor, my primary care doctor, who is an avowed, he's not practicing now, but he was an avowed and agnostic, doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in the miraculous, mocked me. When I talked about miracles and things, he would just laugh at me. Well, he wouldn't laugh, but he would very cynically uh, reject what I had to say. When I came in to see him, he said, Pastor Anderson, this is a miracle. (laughs) Before he wouldn't have acknowledged that miracles exist. He said, this is a miracle. I cannot understand how in the world you didn't die in Colorado. It's an absolute miracle. But you see, the thing is, I I, I I realized that the symptom, though it was slight, it was so slight, it was persistent, and that was my key. It didn't go away. And I followed up on that on that on that uh, small pain. If I'd have had a small pain in my back, I probably wouldn't reacted this way and gone to the emergency room. But I knew that a, a pain in your chest. Can be a heart attack, and that's very serious. That can cost you your life. So, the point is, uh, you need to be aware of the seriousness of your symptoms. If you, you know, cancer, it's very serious. Diabetes, very serious. Heart disease, very serious. Atherosclerosis of your arteries, very, very serious. You have to take these things seriously. And, and, and know that if you're, if you're, if you're still learning how to believe God for the smaller things in life, and you have symptoms of something life-threatening, you need to go to the doctor and you need to do it pronto. You need to do it right away. Amen. So this, this Dr. Massey covered these things, these things in his, in his book. I remember when Angela, when Pastor Angela had a a thyroid uh, tumor, we noticed this thing. She noticed at first when she would swallow, she would feel something in her throat. And so she, she didn't tell me for a while. She was just, you know, looking at it. And finally she told me. So she told me about it. I said, let's pray about it. Let's just believe God for that to go away. And uh, we did that for a few weeks. We're believing God, believing God. And I was praying about it in my office one day. And uh, she was at home. I was down at the church. And I phoned her, I said, you know what? The Spirit of God just, just showed me that you're not in faith. That wasn't, that wasn't being critical of my wife. She was, she was believing God to the best of her ability, but her faith wasn't on that level. And mine probably wasn't either. I just the, the Lord said, your wife is not in faith. And the Lord said, you need to take her to the doctor and get that growth removed. We didn't know if it was dangerous or not, but it could have been. You know, it's just not worth taking a risk and losing your life. And so we took her to the doctor and they scheduled her for surgery and they had the growth removed and it was benign and everything was fine. But we dealt with it according to our faith. And uh, that's so important. Dr. Mast, uh, another, the last thing I'll quickly go over is, is not seeking godly wisdom. Uh, look to the Holy Spirit for wisdom in these things, and then look to other people who have a track record of following the Spirit of God. Like I said, some people, some people are afraid to go to the doctor because I, I, I know of, of, uh, I've known of several people over the years who've had symptoms that that were sim- they were symptomatic of things that could be very, very dangerous, and they didn't go to the doctor, and I'm convinced... The reason they wouldn't go was because they were afraid of what they might find out. Rather not know. That's sticking your head in the sand. That won't make it go away. And that is not faith. People say they're believing God. They say then they're confessing the word. But many times they're in fear and in unbelief to a degree and they won't admit it. I I know Michelle and the other nurses in here, you've seen that. I said about cancer because I've had cancer before. Both my wife and, and me both have uh, have cancer have, have had cancer. And I said, you know, one of the worst things that you can ever find out or the worst things that can ever happen to you is to find out that you have cancer. It's one of the worst things that can happen to you. But there's something worse than finding out you have cancer. And that's having cancer and not finding out. That's way worse. So, you know, uh, don't let fear keep you out of the doctor's office. Amen. Uh, Let let me quickly close with this story. This this will only take a minute to read. Sometimes people who teach faith and healing, some people have, have left the impression, and I think most of the times unintentionally, have left the impression that if you don't, just defeat every physical, overcome every physical challenge with your faith. That you're lesser of a Christian than you should be. That you're just you don't measure up. You're you're uh, you're a failure somehow. And people can get that opinion, but it's not true. And I and I'm not going to finish this today. Obviously, I'll talk about it more tonight. Uh, and I'll, we're going to go into what Doctor Mast found out and what the Bible says about medicine. It's really eye opening. But let me read you this story. He said, I was once asked to see a patient in a hospital consultation and found that she was a staff member at a major charismatic church in Tulsa. I examined her and prayed with her about her medical problems as I do many of my patients. Then she asked me, doctor, please don't tell my pastor I've been to see you. He would be very upset with me if he knew I was in the hospital and didn't have the faith to be healed. Now, that sounds bad, but listen to the rest of it. He goes on to say, Dr. Mass went on to say, because patient information is confidential and should never be discussed with anyone except possibly another doctor involved in the case, I could not tell this woman that a year previous to her visit, I had performed emergency surgery on her pastor. Her pastor had also called on me on various other occasions as well to prescribe medication for him. It was evident that this doctor certainly believes in using, this minister certainly believes in using doctors and medication even though he has a well-recognized healing ministry. So here this woman was afraid that her pastor would be disappointed. She's telling the doctor and the doctor had, done, had performed surgery on her pastor. So again, I'm sure this pastor didn't intend to communicate that. And I, and I don't believe most people who teach faith and healing and, and believe in miracles, they don't t- intend to communicate that, but people get that sense on their own. And that can be very dangerous. Amen? So we'll look in, into more of this tonight as we go in further into it. Amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand up? Praise God. You're going to be liberated by listening to the rest of this message. Amen. Glory to God. God wants us well. Now, Dr. Mast identified these two uh, opposing contradictions, and and we've we've talked about this before. I have. He said he he never he never ceases to be amazed at people who don't believe in divine healing. You know, there are religions, churches, denominations that teach against divine healing. Like God does not heal today, and 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 God uses sickness and disease. He puts these things on us many times to teach us things. There are people that believe that. Dr. Mass, like 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 I have said many times, he said, I can't understand how people who say they don't believe that God heals and that it's, that it's God's will to heal them. They don't believe it's God's will to heal them. They will turn around and go to the doctor to get the doctor to heal them. If, if it's not God's will for them to be healed, then going to the doctor is, is rebellion. They're going to the doctor to get them out of the will of God. Well, that doesn't make any sense. But he pointed out, I've never seen this before, the opposite of that is also true. People who believe in divine healing like we do, we believe it's the will of God that we be well. God wants us well. We believe that. It's a a promise. It belongs to us. If we believe God wants us well, why would we believe that it would be wrong to go to a doctor that could also help us get well? It's equally as illogical as the other one. So amen. I'm teaching these things because we need to be reminded of them. Amen. Glory to God. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and blessing in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for watching over us and caring for us. We thank you, Father, for the promises. You've promised us long life and health. We believe that. We believe, Father, that healing is provided for us in the, in the uh, finished redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, that he himself took our sicknesses and, buried our, and, and, and bore our pains. So we believe it's our covenant right to be healed supernaturally, miraculously by your power. Father, we have so many testimonies in this congregation of people who've been healed miraculously of all manner of sickness and disease. Father, we're grateful for that. But we're also grateful for medical science. We're grateful, Father, for those who have trained and given their lives to help people get well. Because that's your heart as well. So, Father, we we thank you today for your blessings. And we thank you, Lord, that we are indwelt by your Spirit. And your Spirit will guide and direct us. Glory to God. In every situation in life. Glory to God that we'll know on the inside of us what we should do. We can know on the inside of us what level of faith we're at and be able to take the appropriate uh, uh, actions. And we thank you for that, Father. Glory to God. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. I was looking out here this morning, this gentleman sitting right here, right, right behind Ray, I've forgotten your name, the EMT. He, he came down here in this office, what, about two years ago? One night Angela and I were down at the church and I I was just feeling I had I had kind of a pain in my chest and and it was very slight and I thought, yeah, it was very slight, but I had a very slight pain before. So I was down here and and it's like I said, it was about two years ago, and uh, we called the paramedics. It's nothing to fool around with. Well, they came and, and this this young man he was he was part of the team that came and they examined me and they said you know, everything on your heart looks normal. EKG looks normal. Your heart, you know, your blood pressure is normal. Everything looks normal. But, you know, they have to advise you to go to the hospital. You know, they have to for, for you know, uh, liability. And, uh, you know, as, as they were talking and Angela and I were talking the whole time, I was just praying in the spirit in the inside of me. And I just sensed you know what? I don't need to go. And so I didn't go. And I was fine. The, the few hours it went away didn't, didn't come back. And so, you know, you, you have to be led by the Spirit in every situation. I think one thing that people don't know uh, is that you can call 911 in an emergency and it won't cost you anything. I think a lot of people are under the, are under the impression that if you call 911, you have a big bill, like several hundred dollars to pay. That is not true. If the paramedics come out and examine you and you opt to not go to the hospital, you don't pay anything. I don't think everybody knows that. It costs nothing to have them come out and check you out. Now, if they take you to the hospital, yeah, it's expensive. But if they need to take you to the hospital, it's worth the money you that's spent because you have something wrong with you. But just to get checked out costs nothing. Don't fail to take advantage of that. If it's something that the symptoms indicate is very serious, you better act on that. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching.